0: So we are continuing our series on prayer called Teach Us How to Pray, and we're going through uh, different prayers in scripture and seeing what we can glean from those prayers about how we can pray and uh, what it means to pray. And uh, last week we uh, tried a, a liturgical forum called Prayers of the People, and basically Prayers of the People are uh, ways that we corporately can intercede on behalf of the world, the church in the world, and then uh, the local church, our own families, our community, and then ourselves. And that was a form of intercession. Um, And intercession is praying on behalf of other people. So there's praying for yourself, and then there's praying on behalf of other people, and that's called intercession. And it comes from the word, of course, intercede. Intercede meaning you step in between someone and someone else to intercede on behalf of them. And in the case of prayer, you are going in between the person, a person or a group of people and God um, in between them and advocating, champion, championing for them. So today, uh, when we look at Moses' prayer in the wilderness, praying for the presence of God, praying on behalf of the people of Israel, this is a form of intercession. And uh, we're going to look at that. So, But first of all, I want us to take inventory and uh, taking inventory of what we pray for. So every so often, I like to sit down and take stock of our family's budget, right? And a lot of times, it's pretty depressing when when I do that. But I take maybe a quarter of a year, like three months, and average out our expenses by category to see how much of our budget we are spending on certain things like entertainment, and, uh, and I'll look at it and I'll be like, wow, we spent a lot of money on going out to movies and eating out. Like, I don't know, pick a random number. Like 5% of our budget was eating out and going out to movies. We need to cut this. And, and so I'll think about how can we cut this? How can we save money? And I was like, oh, I know, I'll get Netflix, a subscription for Netflix, because at least, you know, you'll save money on the, it's like 9.99 per month. And, and decide not to go out to movies and then you're staying in, so you're not going to go out to eat, right? You're just going to eat at home, so how much are you are going to save like a hundred, no, I don't know. You're going to save a lot of money, right? And so things like that, taking stock um, of your budget, t- taking stock of an inventory of what we spend money on. Um, and doing this actually shows me, shows, if you do this, it shows you um, where your spending habits are. My glasses are fogging up. Where your spending habits are, and our habits are built around our values, right? So what we tend to spend our money on, what we tend to pour our dollars into, reflect where our values are, right? And so if I have a high amount of entertainment, dollar going into entertainment and eating out, what does that mean? It means... I don't know how to cook. I'm lazy, and I like to entertain myself, right? Uh, and so, uh, where your money is, where your uh, where your money is, there also is your heart. Um, you can do a similar thing with your time, right? You can take your week and see where have I been spending my time, right? Well, ninety percent of my time is spent sleeping. In bed, then like, oh, you have a value in sleep, right? Or most of my waking hours are spent working or in traffic. Well, then work and your career and all of that is way big part of your time. Um, What about relationships? How much time are you spending on your friendships, your relationships, taking stock of that? And again, by looking at that, you see maybe... Where your values lie, or you need to adjust your time um, to match your values, right? I value relationships, I value my friendships, and my friends are calling me and I'm not getting back to them. Maybe I need to carve out more space and time for them. So you have your values and you adjust your time in order to meet meet those values. Um, but if I were to take inventory of my prayer, what I pray for, a lot of it is. Myself, my physical needs, my wants, my desires. God, help me have more money so I can do this and do this, go on vacation. God, keep my family safe. Keep my son safe. I pray that he never uh, starts a fight at school because he'll get crushed. He's so skinny. Um, God, don't let the next next door neighbor's tree fall on my roof during these high winds. It keeps me up at night. Um, it's kind of leaning towards our house, and I don't like that. God, help me get all the things I need to get done this week. God, help me get to my meeting on time to pray for things. Uh, to pray for things is actually quite natural, and it's, it's, it's all right. I'm not here to cast judgment or say you should pray for less things. Uh, but it is the simplest, most common form of prayer, petitions to God, God. I need this God I want this and I would say most of us spend a lot of our prayers that's what we pray for right when we're thinking about prayer it's usually when we're desperate or we really need something right let's be honest there's that and in prayer God is faithful God is faithful um, to meet our needs or if it's not that specific thing that we're asking for Maybe he'll answer our prayers and our requests in a different way. So background for our passage here in Exodus 33. uh, The top of Exodus, Exodus chapter 1, we have, we learn that the people of Israel had been enslaved by the Egyptians. So Israel is God's covenant people. He's, remember Abraham back in Genesis, and Noah, and all of those people, Jacob, Isaac, saying, God, God saying, you're my leader, you're my family, you're my people. Be faithful, and I will promise to do good things for you, to bring you, uh, to take care of you, to bring you into the promised land. But in Exodus, we learn that the people have been held in captivity in Egypt for hundreds of years. right? And it says that their cries went up to the Lord, and God heard the cries of his people God, God, we're in slavery. God, save us. Where are you, God? You haven't been here, God. And it says God's heart goes out to his people and, and uh, he hears the cries of his people. And right after that, you get the narrative of Moses, the call, the birth of Moses and the call of Moses. Right. You remember the burning bush. You remember Moses in the basket. You know, his sister putting him in the basket and him getting picked up by the princess of Egypt. All of that stuff. Moses growing up in an Egyptian household, Egyptian royalty, but being a Hebrew and then having all of this identity crisis and running off to Midian after he murders two Egyptians. Um, Running off to Midian and then God calling him out of his hiding through the burning bush saying, I'm going to set my people free. I need you. You are my leader. You are my man to lead my people out of Egypt. And so this is the context of Exodus. And God does use Moses to deliver the people out of Egypt. And they're wandering in the desert towards the promised land. And God, story after story, chapter after chapter, tells the story of God delivering the Egyptian, or not not the Egyptians, the Israel, the Hebrews, from starvation, from thirst, from the wilderness, from the Egyptian army chasing them, from, from the, the other people in the lands trying to destroy them. And God delivers them over and over and the people continue to follow them, continue, but they also continue to stumble and forget. And think about the things around them and have anxiety and worry about their provision, their physical needs, whether they'll survive, whether they can eat. They are worried about not having food. God provided manna. They are worried about not being able to drink and and dying of thirst in the desert and God made water come out of the rock, right? And so you have this up and down, back and forth of trust and distrust, right? Trust in this God who continues to save and save and save and provide and give and give. And yet at the same time, all of a sudden, a flip of the dime, right? And there's distrust. Because the circumstances of before them, right in front of them, the concrete and the tangible are so overwhelming. And they, the vision and the faith is not enough to carry them that next step. They're like, ah, I don't see it. All right, We're going to die out here in the wilderness. It's not going to happen. And then they stumble. All the while, God is trying to live up to this covenant. Right, this covenant promise. And basically... A covenant is a promise plus a relationship, right? A promise like a contract: you do this, I'll do this. We're together. We have this connection. We have this deal. But there's more than that. There's an intimacy or a relationship, right? I love you. You love me, right? And and frankly, God has the short end of the stick because He's giving all this stuff, and the people, you know, aren't giving that much. Except they're supposed to give their fidelity. Right? They're worship to God and not worship other people. And so there's this covenant, ongoing covenant. So when we get to chapter 32, do you guys know what the story is before this? Moses has gone up to the mountain and he's talking with God. right? And God is giving Moses the Ten Commandments. He's also giving all his instructions. Because what God is doing during their journeys in the wilderness is he's also trying to establish a worshipping community, a worshipping people for himself. He wants to build a tabernacle, right? So that his glory can rest, his presence can be among the people. I don't want my people just to be wandering, wandering, and wandering and being like haphazard. I want to build a people who are identified by worshipping me. And I want to be with my people. I want to be present with my people. And this is a tabernacle. So all, all throughout Exodus in the 30s, the 20s and the 30s chapters, uh, there's these instructions for his tabernacle of, for priests and the jobs of priests and what they should do and who should be priests and who shouldn't be priests. And he tells Moses up on the mountain, you should pick this guy out because he's very wise and has a lot of knowledge in how to build things. Because someone's got to build my ta- tabernacle, right? My, my holy place so you can dwell. And so God's desire is to establish a worshiping people where he can be present and he could be glorified in the, in the world and the earth. And while Moses is up there, he's up there for a long, long time. Right? And there's like People can see from a distance there's lightning and clouds and storms happening on the mountain. And they're tired of waiting. They get impatient. And they're like, Moses is not coming back. He's taking too long. Can you, let's build, let's make this, let's bring it, offer up our jewelry, our gold jewelry. And let's make a golden calf. So we have something tangible to worship. Tangible. Tangible. A representative or a kind of proxy for God and, and so they do it and as Moses is approaching the camp he hears this loud sound right and he's like is this I, I think the guy next to him is like is this a battle I hear? is this a war that I hear no it's it's, it's worshipping it's a worshipping that's happening right? and so if you can just imagine what would it have to sound like Right, this party that they're having, you know, around the golden calf, just dancing and partying, and the kind of scripture implies that there's kind of extracurricular activity happening, right? Adult entertainment, and they're partying, they're partying, they're partying, and it sounds like a battle, right? Like, man, that's a rager. I've never been to a party like that, but it sounds like a battle. Or just the sound of immense praise. And it is, it is a worship service, if you will. It is a time of worship that's happening. But it's not a worship, the worship of God, of Yahweh. It's the worship of this golden calf. And I think Moses is so upset and angry. He like troubles the, the tablets down and they break. Right? And God is in, God is upset. He's like, I'm break. That's it. I'm tired of this. I'm breaking off. And Moses is like, no, 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 no. And so that brings us to the top of our chapter or our passage. And the Lord is saying to Moses, You can have the thing, okay? You can go and have your promised land. Go from here. I'll still you. You can still go into the promised land, and I'll give it to your descendants. I'll send an angel even to drive out all the enemies. Go up to the land of milk and honey, right? You can have it, but you know what? I'm not coming. You just go without me, because it seems like that's what you want. That's what you're valuing. Your value is in the objects I can give, in the promise of the land, in the promise of security. And the promise that you'll be protected. And and the promise that you'll have flowing milk and flowing honey. Right? You'll have a a pond, a land with a fondue pond. Right? (laughs) And so God is basically, what the people have committed is a covenant-breaking action. And God's like, they've chosen, so let's part. Let's break the relationship. You can have the promise, but let's break the relationship. The obsession over things as ends in themselves as the center of our need, however, is the core of idolatry. When our gaze is fixed on the things offered and gained in a relationship, the intimacy in that relationship dries up. So if you can just imagine a newlywed couple um, they're just married, they don't have kids yet, they have a new condo, new car, new jobs, and the husband discovers that he's fired. And they don't have enough to keep their home, so they have to, he comes to his wife, we have to sell our home, we have to give back our car, we have to live on the streets. But at least, honey, we're in love, right? <laughs> at least we have each other. <coughs> wife says, Goodbye, I'm leaving. I don't want no scrub. Right? You would question her love, right? You would question her love. Hey, I thought we were married because of love. Right? Through, through sickness and health. Through rich and poor. Through death. Through us part. And now you're just leaving me. When the people of Israel lose sight of God and God's presence and God's love and being a set-apart people called to worship him because they're scared or focused on the things they don't have, the dangers, the unanswered details, then they tend to get in trouble, right? They start whining, infighting happens, drama happens, they question leadership, they want to do with mutiny, overthrow Moses and Aaron. And in the case of chapter 32, right before Moses' prayer, they turn to the golden calf. But this is where Moses steps in, right? The people have just committed a deal breaker, and God is ready, is just done. And this raises a lot of questions, right? You can change God's heart? Does Moses change God's mind right here? Right? Is Moses like the mature one and God is like this baby that's like pouting and like, they don't want me, I don't want them, right? <laughs> they can go and take your ball and, you know, play. I'm not playing. <laughs> and Moses has to, they're there, God. Don't forget your promise, right? Come on, God. Uh, but I think there's something more than this and I think that's at the heart of prayer and intercession is that God we can through our prayers change God's heart because God wants to partner with us in what he's doing God wants us to own our lives and our journey and wants to wants our heart to go out there, right? And in our prayers, when we intercede, we demonstrate, we say to God, God, we we plead towards his character, the goodness of his character, his mercy, his grace, his forgiveness, his ability to renew and make things new. When things are all jumbled up and broken, God can like, bring it all together again and make things new. And when we pray, we're pleading to that character. Right? I know who you are, God. And that's what Moses is doing. He's like, please. Right? The promised land is great, but I don't want to go there. I don't want to move forward if you don't go with us. And Moses gets it. I want to be with you, God. I need you. We need you. And there's this toggling of Moses is praying for himself, but he's also praying for the whole corporate body. He's interceding. He's between the people of Israel and an angry God. And he's saying, rethink this, God, please don't leave us. And God is pleading for the presence of God. And here's the question. What does the presence of God do for us anyways? Right? Let's see. In verse 14, the Lord replied, My presence will go with you. Right? This is after, this is after Moses is prayed, Leave these people. Um, if you are pleased with me, teach me your way, so I may know you and continue to find favor in you. Remember that this nation is your people. Remember that we are your people, this nation. And the Lord listens to Moses and says, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. So that's one thing about the presence of God, is that in the presence of God, we have rest. And all our striving, and toiling, and working, and making a living, and providing, and security finding, Right? Only in God is there rest, real rest. Peace. I knew a couple chapters before this, God talks to Moses about Sabbath. The Sabbath is holy. And we need to keep. We need to honor the Sabbath because on the, for six days God worked and on the seventh he rested. And in this rest, We acknowledge, the people of God acknowledge, that indeed it's not by our hands, but also by God's power and works um, that we're delivered and that we live. So rest, in God's presence we have rest. Everyone go, right? Can you imagine? God is in control. I'm a very neurotic person, right? It's weird because I'm a messy person, too. But uh, I worry a lot, and I, I want to be in control a lot. Right? And I work a lot, right? And it's hard, if I have a day off, it's very hard to just have a day off, you know? I'm always, like, doing something to, you know, do something. When I I remember working for the state, you know, people would be relaxing, like surfing, Facebook, right? When I worked at UW. And I was like, I was taught to like, never be idle, right? So you always have to be doing something. So if I had nothing to do, I would feel guilty. So I'd start wiping the counters and like, whatever. I can't stop. Like, in God wants us to rest in him and in resting we realize God is in control and ultimately it's up to him and he's going to take care of it and the second part of God's presence is that it distinguishes his people right? it gives his people identity verse 15 then Moses said to him if your presence does not go with us do not send us up from here How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all other people on the face of the earth? You can't take you, God, out of the equation. If you're out of the equation, we aren't us. right? It's because you're going with us that all the nations, all the other people out there... Know who we are and know about you, right? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other peoples on the face of the earth? If you don't go with us, then the other people will see that you're not pleased with us. How will you be glorified if you're not in with us? Our identity is in the presence of God. And this is a good word for us. Even in our prayer life, in our worshiping, in all of our church activity, if God is not in it, there's so many other things we could be doing it for. There could be so many other things that drive us in our activity. Our religious activity. But if God is not in it, it's like that claiming symbol, right? It's empty, it's hollow. But God gives, distinguishes us. He sets us apart. And this is what gives us power in prayer as well. We're set apart. Right? We have a God of the universe who hears, who's with us, who loves us, who cares, and we call upon that God in prayer. When we, as people, intercede um, we practice that relationship we practice that covenanting with God right? that promise we take to task the promise and the relationship when we pray to God and intercede we're saying I trust in you God I believe in you God and I believe you can answer I believe you will move in this place And it's our power, intercession is the power of advocacy, right? To bring voice to situations that might not have voice. To be champions for people who can't champion for themselves. Or to pray for our friends, our neighbors, our church, our community, when they aren't even praying for themselves. Amen? To intercede, to stand between God and this person or these people or this situation and say, God, you need to be here. God, please. And something uh, that I admire growing up is uh, I grew up in the Korean church, and my father is a Korean pastor, and you know sometimes I'd have to go, they'd have early, Koreans are known for early morning prayer service, like 4.30, 5 a.m. every day, mm-hmm. every morning, praying. And you'd see if in a very active church, you'll see like 34, you know, people filling up the sanctuary just praying early in the morning, on, you know, seniors and people just on their knees, weeping, you just yelling, and you're kind of, I'd always be embarrassed when I go there. This is like creepy, freaky. (laughs) Right? But just that prayer, that fervent prayer. And I want us to be a people, right? That are that inner seat. Right? That pray on behalf of other people. That pray on behalf of our neighborhood out there, that pray on behalf of our households, (laughs) our nation. Our nation needs a lot of prayer right now. Pray on behalf of the world. Pray on behalf of our friends, our, our coworkers, our teachers to stand in the gap and say, God, may your presence be in this place transform this, change the atmosphere here. And we need more people to be praying for renew this church, right? that God will build it up, that it will his presence will be in this place and when people come into this place, they experience the presence of God, they experience rest, they ex- they're given new identity and they're renewed and they're restored in their souls, right, that this would be his tabernacle, right, where his glory rests. And, and people would see this light, right, just, if you had a map of this area, it was darkness. this light just spreading like a virus. <laughs> but a good virus. <laughs> Show me your glory, God. That it's almost a command. God, show me your glory now. Right? The audacity of that. Almost commanding God. You need to show me yourself. Because I know. I know who you are. And I want to see you. Right? And this is another word of, how many, t- how many have you been in the desert period? Right? Where you don't hear from God. And you're praying and you're praying and you're praying. And you're, praying, and you're like, God, where are you? You don't seem to be here. You don't seem to be talking to me. You don't seem to care. And you're not hearing for God, from God. That's the time to get on your knees and pray even more. Show me your glory, Lord. And we have friends who are struggling to see God and to experience God and are going through the desert period to pray on behalf of them, God, that they would know you, that you would show yourself to my mother, to my brother, to my best friend. Show yourself to them so they know that you're real, so they want to be closer to you. Show me your glory. So we're going to take some time. You know, every, every week we've been doing little exercises in our session. And where did I write this? Oh, there it is. Um, There's no cards, or you can use uh, the prayer cards, or if you brought journals, you can can use those. Just take some time to write down two or three people in your life you'd like to pray for. Just like Moses prayed for Israel, for his people, Um, take some time to think about what you could pray about for each person. And then the homework is to pray this week for those people. And then secondly, how do you want God to show his glory in your neighborhood? As Moses prayed, show me your glory. How can God show his glory in your neighborhood, in your church, in your household, in your workplace? And then take time this week to intercede uh, around these. So if 90% of your prayer time is asking for things for yourself, (coughs) make it Make it like 70% and add a 20% to interceding this week for other people. And see where that takes you. That's great.